Hi, and welcome to Sibs 101, the show where historians discuss Sid Meier's Civilization series. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. On today's episode, we'll be looking at America, which is one of the original 14 sieves of the Civilization series. America has always been a peculiar sieve in the sense that the United States has only existed since the 18th century, and thus makes America an odd occlusion next to the traditional ancient civilizations like Greece or China. In Civ 6, America is led by Teddy Roosevelt, who, thanks to DLC, now appears in two forms, as either Bull Moose Teddy Roosevelt, or as the figure you see here, Rough Rider Teddy Roosevelt. To help me consider the depiction of Teddy Roosevelt by this game, as well as the idea of an American civilization more generally, I've invited onto the show Dr. Robert Greene II, who is an assistant professor of history at Claflin University. Robert is the lead associate editor of Black Perspectives blog and the book reviews editor for the Society of U.S. Intellectual Historians. Fans of History Respond will remember Robert from our episodes on Bioshock and Wolfenstein the New Colossus. Robert, welcome back to History Respond. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. Of course. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Uh, So first question, this is one that I'm pitching to all the historians who are coming on this new series. And the question is, uh, what is your experience with the Civilization series? And what do you make generally of the way that it depicts the past? Well, you know, I actually played some of the first four versions of Civilization. Um, It was one of my favorite games growing up. And I think how it portrays history is is rather intriguing in the sense that it isn't a straight repeat of what actually happened in the past. I kind of think of Civilization in comparison with games like, for instance, Europa Universalis or Mm -hmm. Hearts of Iron, other games that are firmly set in certain time periods. Civilization is, I think, in many ways, a, a quintessential American strategy game in the sense that you have these traits, these ideas of what constitutes civilizations or different groups of people, but then you're allowed to make the, the history of those peoples however you see fit. You're mm-hmm. allowed to shape them and reshape them how you want to actually do so. And I found it to be particularly interesting, especially when as a kid, for example, playing civilization and you find yourself having the Americans interact with the Greeks. Part of you <laughs> thinking, uh, this isn't how it happened in real life, but that's sort of the fun of civilization as a genre of, of video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we are uh, we're playing the most recent uh, version of the game, which has all the DLC included uh, and uh, has environmental effects and the rise and fall effects. So uh, I decided for this episode that I would start with uh, the game in the ancient world, uh, primarily mm-hmm. because I always find it so humorous uh, to have the United States, like you said, interacting with these uh, ancient civilizations in these ancient settings. Um, and I think, you know, you're right in the sense that this is kind of a quintessential American strategy game, uh, you know, and it is very much a product of kind of, uh, as the developer Sid Meier uh, said before, is kind of a, a product of his perspective from the end of the Cold War, right? The first game came out 30 years or so ago, 1991. So it's the very end of the Cold War and 
kind of thinking about world history in that kind of early 90s perspective is a very, I think, American thing to do. Very much so. And and first of all, the fact that you said 1991 was 30 years ago is a scary thought. <laughs> but to your to your actual point, you're exactly right. It The game itself is very much with a almost an end of history flair to it in the sense that it takes out some of the context of what actually happened with these civilizations and such and boils them down to certain traits of each civilization, uh, certain things that each civilization is good at. And it's a unique way of, of thinking about history, thinking about how cultures create and recreate themselves. Mm -hmm. So the leader of America in Civilization VI uh, is our old buddy Teddy Roosevelt. And in previous entries of the series, America has been led by the likes of Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and Eleanor Roosevelt. And I'm wondering, what do you make of Teddy Roosevelt uh, in comparison with these other figures that I've listed off? What do you think of him as kind of a representative figure for America? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting to me that they've chosen to go with Teddy Roosevelt for Civilization VI. For one, I think they've chosen Roosevelt because, unlike, say, a George Washington, you don't have him being problematized by the issue of slavery. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you use a Franklin Eleanor Roosevelt, there is still, of course, debate in the present day about the greatness of the New Deal and how some people push back against the New Deal as an ideology to, to be revered. Um, and then even Abraham Lincoln, of course, you get into questions about his views on race, his views on uh, the Confederacy and so on and so forth. You start to get into some what shouldn't be problematic waters, but I think there's still even some controversy about him in terms of being tied to the American Civil War. But Theodore Roosevelt, out of all, all these historical figures, he is the one who is arguably the most larger than life. Mm -hmm. Uh he is the one that I think, out of all the figures I've mentioned, most Americans still see him as sort of a blank slate. Um, if you ask most people, well, what did President Teddy Roosevelt really do? What did he accomplish as president? A few might say, well, he signed the Pure Food and Drug Act. Uh, he had an aggressive foreign policy. But most folks probably say, oh, you know, he led the Rough Riders, um, which has nothing to do with his actual presidency, but it made him into this historical figure. And by the way, I think it's funny that the DLC now lets you actually have him dress as a rough writer. <laughs> Give some traits because of that. But I also think it's indicative of how there are certain American figures in history, like Teddy Roosevelt, who are still very much larger than life, who are not seen through this prism of a firm grappling or nuanced grappling with the past in a way some other historical figures have been. And I think in, in closing and answering your question, I've been thinking to myself, well, what other historical figures from American history would be useful as a representation within a game like Civilization? And I can't help but think about the fact that all the folks you mentioned, um, with the exception of Eleanor Roosevelt, of course, all of them were not only U.S. presidents, but they were presidents and leaders during wartime. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of the draw, too, is that you have figures who symbolize America's greatness in terms of its ideology uh, as a nation founded 
you know, and the ideas of freedom and, and, and self-reliance and so forth. But also these are all people who earned their bona fides in history and are remembered by Americans for what they did during wartime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's also a big element of it. In other words, I would, I would push listeners to the show to think, well, what would the game look like if, say, a Martin Luther King Jr. were chosen as a civilization representation? Or a Helen Keller? You know, you would get into different areas of how and why we revere and cherish certain American figures historically. But certainly the Civilization series gives the idea and the impression that the most important Americans are still those who led us during wartime, those with power as president, those who really still loom large in our national consciousness for what they did on behalf of the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I think it's interesting you bring up this perspective of wartime and wartime leaders. And I think, yeah, I, just guessing here, I'm not a game developer, but I'm just guessing I, I would imagine that, you know, having a leader, American leader associated with war, with war, it not only satisfies that kind of what you might call pop history, you know, popular history perspective of the audience and perhaps the developer as well, but then also... Uh, you would have kind of a, a built-in gameplay uh, excuse, right? You know, and you, with Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider, you've got this bonus uh, for combat strength. So that kind of wartime perspective, it also, I would say, plays into uh, game mechanics uh, to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Now, of course, they do have the other version of Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Bull Moose, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And this brings me uh, to my next question. What do you make of this division of Teddy Roosevelt into two different uh, characters. Um, you know, you've got Bull Moose, who's kind of focused on uh, natural wonders, science, and culture, and then Rough Rider, obviously focused on combat strength. And I wonder, what do you make of the idea of splitting Teddy in this way? And does it really work to have two different versions of Teddy Roosevelt? Well, I think as um, a game player, it does make some sense in how it rewards you depending on how you want to play the game. If you want to go for a cultural victory versus a a victory via military domination. But on the other hand, as a historian looking at the game, I think the one big problem with that is we really shouldn't separate Teddy Roosevelt as the bull moose progressive from Teddy Roosevelt as the rough writer, because mm-hmm. for him and for many Americans living in the early 20th century, those two ideals went perfectly hand in hand with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't, I don't think the, the goal or the objective of the producers and creators of civilization six to give that impression. They're really concerned with making best, most fun game they can, but it should push us as historians and just as, everyday citizens to think about how American history is one of constant tension, almost contradiction in terms of what we believe in versus what we actually do as a country. Right. And you think about how someone like Teddy Roosevelt as a rough writer, he personifies on the one hand victory in the Spanish American war, but that same conflict leads to America's imperialism in the Caribbean being enhanced and strengthened and also our conquest of the Philippines as well, which when he was president, he was also commander in chief for. Yep. 
So I, I think it is it is an interesting dichotomy here, right? An interesting split in the characters of a bull moose versus the Rough Rider Roosevelt, in that it gives an impression of splitting American foreign domestic policy histories in a way that's just not really true. And looking at it from the point of view of a historian, once again, many historians, whether it's writing histories or teaching histories in the classroom, even now we still try to make our students and others understand that thinking of American foreign and domestic policies as two like truly separate things is the absolute worst way to look at them. They're always influencing each other in different ways. And having these two representations of TR act the way they do only really enforces this idea of foreign policy being this one thing <laughs> and us being the other thing, and they never interact at all. But we all know that that's not the case. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, you know, just, yeah, like you said, from a gameplay perspective, it's a really great idea. It gives you more options. Uh, but then, like you said, as a historian, you kind of recoil in fear because on the one hand, it's like, oh, well, Teddy Roosevelt, he was a rough rider. Uh, but then he became, you know, Bull Moose Teddy, right? He was fo focused on domestic politics, focused on science and culture, and then, of course, building up uh, the national park system, right? It's uh, kind of one of mm -hmm. Teddy Roosevelt's big progressive claims to fame. Um, but like you said, you know, these two perspectives on Teddy Roosevelt, in actuality, they go hand in hand, and they would have gone hand in hand to Teddy Roosevelt himself, right? He would have seen this as part and parcel of his era, which is, which is interesting. Cause I think, you know, you started by talking about how Teddy Roosevelt is somebody who seems to almost stand outside of time. Uh, you know, a larger mm. in life figure, somebody who pops up over and over again in historical fictions, uh, and children's books, uh, children's movies. I'm thinking of night at the museum, for instance, um, you know, kind of one of these quintessential American figures. Um, but at the same time, uh, he's somebody who uh, is also, uh, you know, kind of seen in two different ways uh, by most people, right? Seeing them as the Rough Rider, seeing them as Bull Moose, but not really seeing them hand in hand. No, I would I would definitely agree with that. And I would point out an even deeper irony here is that thinking about Teddy Roosevelt as the Bull Moose guy, actually skips over his entire presidency because he didn't get that <laughs> moniker until he ran in 1912 yep. for the progressive party. And so there, there is this idea of him being the bull moose person. It's like, Oh, he's strong as a bull moose and all this. But again, that comes after his presidency. <laughs> so I think that's even, even funnier to think about in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I wanted to turn to a moment and, you know, I've got a setup here in the ancient era, starting a game with America. I wanted to turn to this idea of American civilization. Uh, so the idea of civilization, it, it kind of harkens back to a different era of historical study that's based around these kind of arbitrarily constructed groups of people, and mostly referring to groups of people in the ancient world, but sometimes it's extended forward into the modern age. And in these terms, the idea of an American civilization really appears laughable. And I'm wondering, what do you make of America's inclusion in this idea of civilization? Uh, do you think that this is just a, a useful ploy to sell games to American players? 
Or do you think that there is some basis for thinking about a, a quote unquote American civilization? You know, that I think is a really fascinating question. And uh, I don't want to, to pull the usual historian thing of saying it's complicated. So instead, what I will say is I will invoke the, the Twitter meme of why not both? <laughs> and what I would say here is that, yeah, on the one hand, I think it's definitely being used to sell games. I mean, I think that that is a pretty big part of it because I would ask the audience, could you imagine playing the civilization games without America being an option? Mm-hmm. And I, I think they would have a hard time justifying that. Um, but then I think to your deeper question about is there an idea of American civilization, right? Historically, such an idea has been incredibly problematic because it often assumes a white civilization, a mm-hmm. Eurocentric civilization. And yet I think of the great African American um, essayist, Gerald Early, who argued, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, that essentially thousands of years from now, when people think of American society and civilization, they'll think of the Constitution, jazz, and baseball. Mm. And so we could use this idea of American civilization and turn it on its head to ask ourselves, well, is there actually an idea of a quintessential American? Now, I think the initial answer is no. I mean, just looking both historically and in the present day, it's hard to think of this is what an American is with these three or four particular cultural uh, and linguistic traits. But if we play with this idea some more, it can actually become a fruitful point of discussion about what it means to be American and how that idea of Americanness can be incredibly diverse. Um, if we allow it to be that way. The problem here, as you point out, is that the idea of civilization as it's been historically constructed is one that is actually very restrictive and ignores how civilizations and cultures often permeate one another. Mm -hmm. Take, for example, the idea of American civilization, right? Can you think of American civilization without African-Americans or without Irish Americans or without indigenous peoples or a wide range of groups of people? The answer is, the answer should be no. But there are attempts by some folks to situate ourselves as Americanists or American civilization being one thing. So it is an incredibly problematic idea. But I think within it, it contains the kernel of useful dialogue and discourse about what it actually means to be American. Because after all, whether it's Teddy Roosevelt, or Franklin Roosevelt, or George Washington, or Abraham Lincoln, they've all, they all dealt with those problems in their own ways, often through warfare, like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, these ideas are still worth talking about and thinking about, even if we can acknowledge in the long run, they're not terribly useful beyond thinking about these ideas in a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do like the idea of thinking about American civilization in terms of uh, jazz and uh, <laughs> uh, baseball. I think that that works uh, pretty well. Uh, but uh, I do wonder uh, about longer term, you know, the kind of uh, impact that, you know, games like this thinking in terms of civilization will have on the way that people perceive America 
and think about America with relation to other places around the world, which, you know, I think, you know, coming at this again from a perspective as a historian, it's great to have games like this. It's great to have these kind of conversations come out of it, but also the ways in which these games present the past can pose some, I think, potential issues with, um, you know, the way players, uh, conceptualize American history, but also world history and America's place within it. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, as you said, you know, it could be both. Precisely. And I would add to that too. Um, you think about how the civilization series over the years has always tried to add more civilizations to the game, Mm -hmm. uh, partly for the sake of adding gameplay diversity, but also to try to make the player aware that, hey, there are other civilizations besides those in the United in North America and Europe and East Asia that are actually relevant historically. And so you you get into these issues again of what constitutes a civilization, um, how players respond to that. And again, I think this idea of civilization is one that becomes extremely unique when you start thinking about, as we talked about at the top of the show, who represents America in the game? Yeah. And the fact that they keep presidents, I think, is still incredibly telling. Yeah, so given that, uh, I'm wondering, I'll just kind of leave leave things off here. Given the fact that you've you played quite a bit of the Civilization series, you think a lot about these uh, leaders uh, for America, both now and in the past, Is there any specific advice you might have for developers about some interesting leaders that could be included or maybe even some different game mechanics related to America history? Well, for one thing, I would push the game developers to be willing to push the envelope on who they consider to be a leader for American civilization. And this isn't just a question of diversifying it via race or gender. It's also a question of diversifying it in terms of play style. Because mm. I could imagine, that, like, Civilization 7 or 8, or however many they make after this, um, they could decide, well, instead of making just one leader for America or one leader per civilization, we could do multiple leaders. And each leader represents a different gameplay style. So, for instance, for the United States, you could have, say, a Teddy Roosevelt um, in his Rough Rider outfit being the leader you would choose for a military victory. But... If you want to choose, say, a cultural victory, why not someone like, oh, I don't know, um, a Mark Twain Mm. or get really revolutionary, a Toni Morrison? You know, the thing about people beyond politicians. And I think the the urge to do that is understandable because you think you think of history through this lens of the civilization games. Of course, it's going to focus on the great leaders, the great political military leaders of their day. But if you start getting into, well, if you go beyond who's literally led a civilization and get into which individuals influenced civilization and pushed it to be the best it could be, then you start getting into some really interesting questions about who they choose as leaders of each civilization and, by the way, what their traits would be, what their attributes would be, and so forth. And I, and I also have to say, too, I think it's funny to me that the unit in the game that's the unique American unit is, or one of them is the P-51 Mustang. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that's symbolic because it's a weapon of war 
from the good war, World War II, mm -hmm. the war where American, more than any other war we ever fought in, that's the one that we look at and we say, we were unquestionably the good guys in that war, and the P-51 is a representation of our being the heroes in that conflict, right? So I would I would say that the developers shouldn't be afraid to push the envelope on who they choose in terms of, of leaders, who they choose in, or what they choose to traits, that sort of thing. Um, but it's understandable that they want to make a game that can appeal to as many players as possible. But I would... I would say to them, maybe you get more players that way. Maybe you get a different group of players to play the game in addition to your traditional um, computer game fans. There's a lot of things, and this is what's great about the Civilization series, as many games as they've made in the series, there's so much more they could do with it just based off of real history. And I think that's the most exciting thing about the Civilization series of games. Yeah, is there, there's a lot of different directions they could go into. And, you know, I think you're right with the idea of leaders. Uh, you know, it's not just about uh, increasing diversity, which would be great, but then also it would allow different play types for different groups of players. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think if you were to have one overarching criticism of the Civilization series in terms of gameplay, it's been the ways in which the victory conditions kind of dominate the way you play. And it's a game that at the beginning makes you feel like you could go in any direction, but then by the end, you're kind of being funneled uh, down one of these paths. And so I think it's an interesting perspective to have to say, well, maybe if you have different leadership, different skills, then that would lead you down different victory conditions that you haven't explored yet. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I would even add to that with the victory conditions. Um, of, of course, the one that always perplexed a lot of people was getting the Alpha Centauri. Um, it almost feels like now it should be fighting climate change. Mm -hmm. um, but I digress. <laughs> well, uh, on that chipper note, uh, we'll end today's episode. <laughs> uh, Robert, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Civs 101. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.